and welcome to The Art of Work, a podcast about how we find fulfilment as we pay the bills. Today I'm delighted to welcome teacher and culture leader Andrea Zafiriku. Andrea is an art and textiles teacher and member of the leadership team at Alperton Community School in Brent. In 2018, she was awarded the Global Teacher Prize out of more than 37,000 entries. She used the million dollar prize money to start a charity called Artists in Residence, which aims to improve arts education in schools. She's a culture leader for the World Economic Forum and a member of their Global Future Leaders Council, has been named in the Evening Standards 1000 Londoners list and was awarded an MBE in 2019 for her outstanding contribution to education. She's also a consultant in arts education, an international keynote speaker, a coach, and author of a best-selling book, Those Who Can Teach. In this podcast, she talks about the joys and challenges of public service and the transformative power of art. So hello, Andrea, and welcome to The Art of Work. I'm absolutely delighted to have you on the podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure. Lovely to be here, Christina. Thank you. So I remember very well the moment at um, in Dubai at the Global Teacher Prize when you were announced as the winner out of, I think, more than 37,000 entries. Is that right? Wow, that's, that's got very good memory. Yes, it it was, it is, and... God, it's just, it still feels like yesterday, actually. Does <laughs> it? Uh, yeah, it does. It feels like yesterday still. Um, but it was, and it's just still mind boggling how that happened. Um, but it happened, and it was just amazing. Yes. And can you remember how you felt at that particular moment? I felt confused because at that moment I didn't hear my name so I was staring around I, th- I think that the, the the announcement wasn't that clear and so I was looking around just smiling thinking who who was it who do I? and then I just remember one of the co- one of the the other contestants they just ran up to me gave me a hug Andrea it's you I was like oh my god um and then I just uh I was tra- traumatized really confused but then I just went into teacher mode I was like right okay assembly time <laughs> you know let's do this let, let's do this, the 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 speech the, uh, you know um and it was really funny because uh I I didn't have a, a bag with me to put my little speech in um and so I was like I can't put it in my bra <laughs> you know how women they just normally cry and I, I can't do that with this dress there's no I can't get in anywhere so luckily I borrowed a, a purse from one of the other contestants it was just quite cute but yes <laughs> oh it's all coming it's all coming back it's all coming back so, um, I mean, my God, afterwards, there was the most, well, the whole thing was the lab, most lavish thing I've ever been mm-hmm. to in my life with kind of, I can't remember whether, was did Bocelli sing at that one? I've been to two of them. Did Bocelli sing at that one? No, i tell you who sang. Um, oh, my God, what's her name? She's the X Factor singer. She's amazing. Jennifer Hudson. Jennifer Hudson, she sang at my one. Um, my one. My, my, <laughs> yours, my one. yes. Well, it was yours. Um, anyway, and I, and uh, honestly, Trevor Noah was there and... Uh, and uh, um, who else? Lewis Hamilton. Lewis was Hamilton. There. That was oh extraordinary. extraordinary. I fell in. I fell in. I fell in love at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, such a lovely guy. Um, it was. I mean, Christina it was wild, right? I mean, it was like it was. It was the Oscars, but yes. for, for for teachers and education, and it felt so. I felt so out of place, so out of my comfort zone. Um, you know, I was walking and I was like, oh my God, is that the guy from, oh my God, is that the guy from? Um, and it was just very lavish and, you know, incredibly over the top. Mm. Um, so I was completely out of my league, completely. 
but it was good fun right it was, really, it, was yeah. it was great fun it was great fun. Good... I think it was the first time ever that an, a, a, an art teacher won so absolutely phenomenal so you had this incredible experience and then flew back and you know hordes of people people from your school your family there to support you and you are whisked off to Downing Street to meet Theresa May and Nick Gibbs tell us what happened after that well then it you know it was a, a bizarre 24 hours you know it was you know you know I was flying for um business class Emirates oh my god yeah and then you know just no no sleep whatsoever I was on such a high came back and then I was told you're going to be meeting Theresa May um and what was really interesting was that when I when we got there it was a it was um prime minister's question time and I was on the balcony on the top and then you you could hear you could hear Theresa May saying I've got we're so delighted that we have the winner of the globe and she is from the UK and I'll be seeing her in two minutes time you know whatever and then afterwards we went to see um was ushered in to see Theresa May, had a five minutes conversation with her, photos, you know, um, you know, lovely lady, you know, tell me what, you know, why you've won, tell me about your school. And so that was the whole spiel there about, you know, I'm really delighted it's the arts and education, really kind of pushing the arts and education and about, um, you know, come from a deprived school and the arts really support our young people and they achieve. And then she, and then she said, you know, well, you know, later on, we've got a, a tour for you for of um, Downing Street and, and Mr. Gibb, uh, Nick Gibbs um, will be will be taking you out, and so and that happened. So Nick Gibbs was there, and again, really charming, really like nice um, person. Uh, took me on a tour, and again, you know, I'd go. I was in Downing Street, and <laughs> I could see Henry Moores, Barbara, Barbara Hepworths, uh, you know, Andy Warhol. And I was like, oh my god, I teach this piece, and it's in this room. So it was it was again, it was just slightly crazy. And please remember, I was very jet lagged. I was very kind of emotional. I was on this kind of very high thing whereby I've just been doing interviews and interviews and interviews. And so we sat down and ran around the table in the in apparently it was Winston Churchill's bedroom. So we sat around in this gorgeous table. And um, then the most extraordinary thing happened. Um, I was offered you know, Nick Gibb, he, he pulled out like a piece of white paper and uh, he there was a poster of a teacher on there and he asked me, you know, we'd like you to be the, the you know, to help us with the recruitment of teachers, we'd like you to spearhead the campaign because Andrew, you know that teachers are leaving the, the, the um, leaving the profession, what do you say? <laughs> and then I, and then I had my kind of 10% braver moment and I was like thank you so much for the opportunity but um let me think about it and, uh, and then he asked why and then I said because you know this government has killed the arts and education and then I went slightly mad I just I just let it all out I think it was I felt actually I felt really sorry for him <laughs> I just said because this and that, and you've destroyed the textiles curriculum and design curriculum and and you know and it's really hard for teachers and the e-back and uh, so I just went off I just thought oh my god but I got it off my system I kind of you know it, it all came out and I was like right okay so maybe that wasn't great so what was and, and then I was put back into the into the into the car and taken home and on that way home on that ride home I just thought oh my god what have I done what have I done what have I done and then the door opened and my husband was there like really happy the first time he saw me off since we've won and I was like oh my god I think we're gonna be assassinated by MI5 <laughs> <laughs> the government's gonna kill me so um yeah it was quite oh, I was just so mad it was bonkers but uh yeah that's what happened and then the day after um 
I went out for a meal and I'd sold the, uh, the, some, the person who, um, who, who I was having lunch with what happened. And then he turned around and said, well, you know, you've got to put your money where your mouth is. You've got to do something about this. Hence what I've then done. Yeah. Well, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I mean, the whole point was that the government, I mean, what, what you had done was in exact opposition to government's policies since 2010, wasn't it? So I, I think you did very well. And, and it was great that they heard it from the best teacher in the world, because they're not going to listen to anyone else or they, they didn't well, and don't. Well, the other thing was, is, you know, all my, all the teachers around the UK, all the art teachers in the, in the UK, I mean, what kind of a representative how, would I be to them and, and the cause if I just said, yes, no problem, I would add, you know, I don't think that was right, I, you know, to, to, to do that. And I'm very morally driven. And um, yeah, I, I thought, no, this is not the right thing to do. And so, yes. And then, <laughs> and and then I, even when they, even when you afterwards, when... Uh, you with great altruism decided to use the money to start this this charity um artists and residents and they promised you more funding and then it didn't materialize and then the department of education promised you funding and that didn't materialize either so essentially you have had zero support from the government on this whole thing yes zero but in but you were judged the best teacher in the world and obviously that gave you influence and you were um I'm just trying to check your the title you were given at the uh, world economic forum what was it the culture a culture leader and a member of their global future leaders council, council. I presume you've been able to have a degree of global influence I think with this government and its various incarnations to have a degree of influence is kind of impossible because it's a cult basically uh, with any luck it's a cult in its dying days but mm. I just wonder how much influence you feel you've been able to have in what has essentially been um, a hostile environment actually for our subjects um, sorry for the for in the UK I'm I'm not sure I have had much impact but um, overseas, absolutely. Overseas, you know, I'm still doing the, you know, being asked to talk about creativity and about um, uh, about the importance of the arts and about the cultural capital, and just making sure that we are still making sure that our young people are experiencing these these incredible subjects. In 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 this country, uh, from our government, nothing. However, there are still so many head teachers and so many trusts and so many brave I'd say brave head teachers and governors who get it and are like yes we do believe what you're saying mm. come and inspire us um our, the fight is the EPAC the fight is that and the reason why that's a fight is because um in you know in in the offset framework there is a percentage of what how many what the, what the percentage of EBAC should be in secondary schools in mainstream secondary schools and so already having a target set of we have to deliver that puts a lot of pressure on head teachers. So I would say that in terms of um, influencing government policy, I'm not sure. I mean, it, I've had so many conversations, Christina, but I just don't think they can, they're hearing, you know, they're, I don't think they're in the room. And I know I'm not the only person who does that, mm -hmm. especially with this government, maybe with another government. Absolutely. I, I think we have got a, a huge, a huge potential and, and, and a good a good cause there. But in this government, I'd say no. But for teachers and unions, you know, they've just been delighted. The amount of support, oh my God, the amount of support I've had from 
um, the lonely teacher, the lonely primary school teacher, the lonely secondary school teacher, and art departments, and the museums, and the, all the cultural institutions, to say this is brilliant. You know, this is apps. This is you know, you are saying what we've been saying for years. Mm. You know, you are the evidence of that. And I just think, if that's my, if that's what I'm. Um, being the ambassador of, then so be it, you know, the, we'll, we'll, we'll keep on going. We'll keep on going until we get there. Yeah. And I want to go back to where it started. Um, so you, what, what, by the way, what did your father do? I know he became a priest at the Greek Orthodox Church in, in Camden. What did he do before that? He was um, studying. So he has just finished his theology degree in, in Crete. Um, and then he moved to the UK because that's where the archdiocese in Greece sent them, sent him. So yes, so and he's still there. He's still in the Is church. He still there? Yeah, yeah, he's still there. It's his um, his seventh, uh, no, his fiftieth year this year. So oh. it's quite, yeah, it's it's very impressive. So yeah. your mother was an administrator at Radio Two. But you wanted to be a teacher from a very early age. It's funny, my mother was a primary school teacher and um, I used to teach my dolls and mark their homework, including my father's precious edition of Robert <laughs> Burns, which he wasn't very pleased about. But, uh, but with me, it faded. You seem to have known very early on and completely stuck with it. Is that right? And do you know where that sort of desire came from? I can't say I knew where it came from, but I, you know, after these, after the prize and after my whirlwind life and the continuation of my whirlwind life, I can honestly say that, and I, and I feel comfortable in saying that. It feels very odd saying this, but I feel comfortable that, you know, people who teach are, and people who enjoy teaching are servants. Yes. And we we give for others. It's all about the other person and prioritising them. And I, my, I'm put on this planet to serve. Um. I still teach now and I'm juggling so much. I, I think I will at one point have to make a very serious decision about what direction, you know, I'm going to take. But I'll tell you what, Christina, the, the, the two days I have teaching in the classroom whereby there's no disturbances, nobody can touch me when I'm teaching, nobody can call me, contact me when I'm teaching. They're my favourite days of the mm. week. That's when I feel I have, I'm doing, I'm adding value to somebody. I'm adding um, I'm helping a young person develop, beat their confidence, beat their personality. Um, okay, absolutely the skills, but just the kind of allowing them to be themselves in a safe art room. I think that's that's what I've been put on this planet to do. Very interesting because I had the sense when you when you were awarded the the prize that the the pleasure you took was really almost entirely about recognition for teaching and for the arts and I didn't have any sense of ego at all and that's you've just reinforced that view for me I think you I mean it's interesting because you clearly come from a family with lots of very strong women um and you're you know hardly a, a shrinking wallflower yourself and as we have heard from your your um lecture at Downing Street not not shy <laughs> of speaking truth to power or however you want to put it um, but I do have the sense that there's very little ego involved is that was that to do with your upbringing I I, I no I think it's not at all I think it's I I wasn't able to do what I do or I can't do what I do in my school if I didn't have 
the most amazing colleagues working around me. Like we we do, we are a unit, we are a school. I do think that this prize has been, you know, is not about Andrea as a girl, but it's about Alperton School. It really is what happens in that school and having that opportunity to do what we do in that community. But the kind of the values that I have, um, you know, making sure that you go the extra mile for every child that comes from home that comes from how I was raised Mm. that comes from that comes from family you know Mm. being growing up in a very tight very strong family um whereby I had everything you know we we you know we there was people there all the all all the time and it was it was great it was great uh, growing up in that environment but also I think I had the sense that it came from your education because you went to uh a primary school in Camden, which was very, very culturally mixed. I mean, possibly not as mixed as Alperton because there were probably fewer immigrant groups in London at that point, but still very culturally mm. mixed. And you had teachers who were very dedicated, um, very, um, I mean, you talk about the teacher who um, gave her jewellery away to the class, which was quite astonishing and very cre- sort of creative and ins- inspirational in, in so many ways. And then that kind of almost, there was a feeling that that almost went out of fashion, that kind of warm embrace of multiculturalism and the sense that we all had to be kind of create little Eatons everywhere. Um, and and of course, arguments can be made both ways because I, I live in Hackney and the schools you know were not very good at one point and they are much better now. And I don't know how many of them are little Eatons. I mean, obviously they're not exactly little Eatons, but, um, and how many of them aren't. But I think maybe... You know, it's not as if there is a kind of one size fits all approach, but clearly what you found in your primary school, many of those were qualities you sought to emulate in your own teaching. Um, how much of that was already at Alperton when you went there? I mean, when I when I went to my um, Alperton, it was... <laughs> I think it was at a time whereby, you know, students were leaving and the the retention wasn't great in the school and there were behaviour issues and, you know, it was it was tough teaching. Um, But there was still a really great sense of community and support um, amongst the staff. Um, The head teacher there was a visionary. She came in and she she understood um, she understood the fact that these children can it doesn't matter whether they, they, everyone can. We can all get them to where they would like to be. Uh, she she also understands and valued her teachers, which I felt was really special. So I felt that I could go and speak to her and say, "Can I? Can I get this? Can I get that?" And it was always like, "Yes, sure, no problem, go for it." You know, can I? And there was money issues as well. We didn't have a good budget. We had, you know, I remember kind of spending my Saturdays going to the pound land and just stocking up things or looking in skips or those, you know, those uh, um, school banks, just to kind of get nice things that my students can have something different. So, yeah, it was, um, it's, yeah, it's quite an extraordinary start. It was very different, but I, but it still it felt really comfortable I didn't ever felt that I didn't belong there I just made you know I think I just made it mine mm. my, made it my place and because my dad was so determined that I should not teach there because it was <laughs> I you know I, I was being the most stubborn cow that I am I was uh, absolutely determined to make it brilliant and then when I joined there was a you know great 
cohort of other, I think, 10 other teachers, we joined together. So we we, we were just, we um, created this support group uh, and it was brilliant. It was, it was a really, yeah, we're very lucky at that point um, to, to be at that point um, at the school. And in your really lovely book, you give so many examples of how the work you did with your with the children in your classroom had a often very profound impact on their lives. So um, can you, for example, tell us briefly the story about I think his real name was Raphael. And I now can't remember what his name was in the book, but you know the one I mean. Yeah. Yes. Um, his name was Alvaro. Oh, my God. The, you know, the child who changed my life. <laughs> so I think I was in year two or year three of teaching at that point so still you know very motivated um quite cocky because I thought I knew everything um in the teacher but you know my I I had a really great time teaching and they were fantastic lessons and great student outcomes and the school began a partnership with a special educational needs school and what happened was that there was a group of young people who were um, in year nine um, who were just about to transition to come from the special educational needs school into a mainstream school. And Alvaro was one of those boys. And he came into my class. And before he came, I had a piece of paper emailed to me saying, these are his learning needs. He's selected mute. He's this, he's that. He's, you know, so, so many different behaviors. And I just thought, oh, my God, how am I going to teach this child? And I've never had a child not learn anything. And, you know, I can't. He can't. He mustn't, you know. So I already I had this very low um no low impression of him and then his mum to top it up she said to me when we had a meeting she goes you know I don't think my, my son will get a GCSE but I just want him to come to a mainstream normal school which broke my heart because I was like oh my god even mum doesn't think that this child can so he came in and the first lesson was for me a disaster he was so terrified he came into the room he sat down mm-hmm. on the chair I went up to him and said, look, here's a learning task for you to do. Just, you know, feel comfortable, feel relaxed, get yourself, you know, in a, in a great space and just try and see where you go. There's some objects there, give them a go and try and draw them. Throughout the whole lesson, nothing, you know, completely his hood was up. You know, uh, he, he just kind of almost was into kind of like fetal position. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get a U. <laughs> I'm going to get my first GCSE U. Um, anyway, I set, I set the homework. Uh, and then the next day, as I was collecting the home, or the next lesson, I collected the homework in. He, Raphael, do you have? Um, sorry, I say, Alvaro, do you have um, the homework? Nothing. No eye contact. No sound. No nothing. And I just thought, I'm okay, okay, maybe he doesn't. Maybe in his school they didn't do homework in the in the in the special school. That's not a problem. We'll you know we'll see what we can do. Um, and then as the end of the lesson, as the whole class were leaving, he quickly crept up to my table and he put a paper on my desk. And I was talking to some girls um, in the corner and I did one of those kind of double takes. I turned over and I just saw this most amazing drawing of a guitar um, on on lined paper, probably ripped out from his history book or English book. But it was just amazing. It was, oh, it was just, I wish I kept it. It was a stunning, sensitive uh, picture of a bass guitar, lovely tone. He did it, you know, his 3D um, the shape and the form were fantastic. And yeah, he added tone and shadow. It was just remarkable and he signed it in the corner as all the kids do and I just rushed up to him and completely invaded his space and said did you do this is this your work and then he couldn't really have no he had nowhere to look but into my eyes and then he just nodded and I was like oh my God. 
<laughs> so right, okay, so so right, this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna draw this, this, this is amazing. So I just went slightly mad and just told him five things I wanted to draw through pencils and paper and packs into this pack that I've got that I have a little tiny little folder that I just got from mine from all the um the the, the odd and sods that, that teachers have on their desks, threw everything together, gave it to him and said, Can you do me one to this and this and this and this? Right. Let me say it again. Can you do me? And then I go, tell me that you understand. And then he nodded. And then he ran out of the door. <laughs> and then um, two years later, when we sat at the GCSEs, he came up to me and a massive big smile. And his face was full of braces. Um, so a huge big smile. And it, yeah, really kind of cocky. He walked in and goes, Miss, I've got a grade D. And then his mum came up and just hugged me. Oh, my son's got a grade D. And then I um, turned around and she looked at me and she goes, why are you not happy with that? Because he was three points away from a C. And, um, you know, if he got a C, then he could have gotten into A-levels and whatever. And so at that time, um, uh, you know, it was very, it wasn't normal for a, for a young person to do uh, A-levels with a grade D. But my head teacher and the head of art, we just supported him, we got through, and then he got an A. And what was really beautiful about the story was not that he you know, he got a qualification, which is his, and then we could take it away. But I think his confidence in being in the art room and, you know, just coming in during his spare hours, sitting in the back and the other kids going up and having a look at his work and then him going up and talking and teaching the kids and then playing basketball in the playgrounds and, you know, just feeling like an art student and feeling like he belonged. I think that was the moment he had, he, he was born. I'd say so yeah he he was he was a student Mm. that um made me believe that actually I I would never ever have no expectations from a child that every child can achieve even if others don't think so we can we can Mm. do it through the arts we can there Mm. is always something a child can do in an art room um and it's our it's my duty to find out what that is And you went to incredible lengths because many of the the children come from incredibly deprived backgrounds, sometimes four, five, six, even seven families living in a house, sharing a kitchen, mm. booked with an hour per family to 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 use the kitchen. And you you give the example of one child who's constantly missing lessons, who's very, very enthusiastic about her her work and then you discover that that's because she that's the only time her family has access to the kitchen all kinds of stories like that you have children whose clothes never get washed and you wash them you bought a uniform for a a boy who was being teased endless examples of this which are really against teaching orthodoxy did your colleagues fully support you in in a sense breaking the rules in those ways um yes I think the challenge was not knowing. Um, the challenge was, it's like, you know, what do we do here? Or not knowing that some of the students had these circumstances. It's like, you know, sometimes as teachers, we think that our job is just to sit and deliver the content of what the curriculum is. Actually, there's so much more that's going on. If you don't know what's happening in a child's life or try to, you know, pry a bit more or investigate mm-hmm. what the situation is, then you will never understand what you're working with. Um and so, I don't know, I just feel that I'm a bit of a problem solver. If I see something wrong, with Mohammed, he didn't have clothes, he was teasing, okay, why, why should I wait for somebody to, why should I go through the correct channels? Let me just get it for him, then that will save 
God, a month of bureaucracy. Let's just get it done. And then he's okay. Then we can, then I can work on the next child. What's wrong with the network? Okay. So let's just get that done. So, and I think that's my mentality. Just let's problem solve. You know, why are we, you know, what's, Mm. what's going on? Let's, let's make the inquiries. Let's ask the really difficult, challenging questions. And the thing that really fascinates me about, especially about the, the, Mm. the children who live in these shared homes is they don't mind. You know, they're not embarrassed about this. They're not, it's not because this is what they've always known and this is what is natural to them. Um, you know, so even now when I when I set homeworks, like, you know, for example, draw draw your room and I see, oh, that's my mum's, that's my mum's sleeps, that's my brother's sleeps, my grand sleeps there, you know, and I, and you just think this is normal to them. So, and, and that sense of pride, you mustn't ever be, you've got to be careful when you're teaching, not to say, oh, I feel sorry for you. you, should, you no, know, it's never about that. You just celebrate. You think, all oh, right, okay, mm. great. Because exactly. also that's how a lot that's how a lot of the world lives, isn't no. it? I mean, it's not the norm not to live in, in a two world. up, two down with and, a bedroom and, of your and own. I think this so. is why you know this. I always get asked by mm. museums and and galleries, you know, how can we get your children to come to our to our place? And I just think it's because it's a completely different world. Sometimes is the galleries, museum. They feel very intimidating. They're very pretentious, and they're rich, and they're you know they're smart. There's marble. There's gold everywhere. This is not their world. They don't. This is not where, where where they feel comfortable in. So why would they go? Why would they come on the weekend? So it's about yeah, and it, and it's always putting mm. yourself in their shoes. And I say that to all my all my you know my beginner teachers. Always remember that teaching. You know you have to remember what it was like for you te- learning, because if you don't put yourself in in those in their shoes, then you know you will never be successful. You'll find it really hard to teach. And you give so many incredibly moving examples in the book of of children whose lives are pretty much transformed by by the work you do with them. But of course, not all lives can be mended. And some people come from such incredibly complex backgrounds or get sucked into the gang life, which is, I wouldn't like to say almost inevitable, but such a central part of inner city life for so many youngsters. And so you must have had just to kind of adjust to the fact that many many hope that you touch every life with your work but but many can't be turned around was that difficult for you to accept that and how do you manage that emotionally and psychologically you know my my colleague at work um a really good colleague of mine alan he's the um the safeguarding lead and i think if i had his job for a day i'd be on the floor in tears because you know that the, the, the mm-hmm. stories which um, we find out and the stories which unfold, and uh, you you just get so I I, I take them really I, I you know I suck up every emotion and I just take it so personally and I just get frustrated. Why is this parent doing this to this child? Why hasn't got what you know? Where is the responsibility? You know why you know and what 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 are we doing? Who can we ask for help? And so it, it's really hard to let go. Um, and I don't think I will ever know what the strategy is, but I just think that sometimes you know that you keep, you know, you just do your best, just do your best and keep going and um, be kind to them, be absolutely kind to to children um, because many of them don't experience kindness. And we are sometimes the most responsible adult that they have in their life, you know. So, yeah, it's not, it's not easy. Mm. One of the stories you tell, which was heartbreaking uh, was about the a girl who said 
my father has told me she had a boyfriend. My father's told me he's going to sew me down there. And at the time, you hadn't heard about FGM. I wrote a column about it about some years ago and got into terrible trouble because the column was basically about the limits of multiculturalism, what we can tolerate in a multicultural society and what we can't. And clearly, FGM is something we can't and shouldn't, but have done because it's been illegal in this country from since 1997, I think, possibly 1992. And at the time I wrote my column, which was 2010, there hadn't been a single prosecution in this country. Um, and then you discovered that, you know, it is not uncommon. How often, I don't need numbers here, but I presume it pops up from time to time. How do you deal with it? I mean, it's such a nightmare scenario, because in that particular situation, I think the, the, the yeah, girl had to be taken away from her yes. parents, and, didn't she? And, you know, there was a whole court case as well. And, you know, we lost her. We lost her because, not because, um, how can I put this? We lost her because she felt that we were trying to break her away from her family. Mm. And, we, you know, we've got to remember that when these these young girls, what they, they don't know any different to what they're experiencing. Um, so that, that's one, one problem. And they don't, they don't open up as well. Mm. Um, we know, you know, we are taught, we do loads of safeguarding training. So we are taught the symptoms, what to look out for. So obviously girls who want to go to the toilet often, um, children who've been away on a longer holiday, especially to certain countries, um, girls who, you know, they're not, that they're walking differently or they're walking slowly, um, you know, changing, not being being embarrassed to change in the changing rooms. You know, all these little things we we pick up, we, we're, we've got kind of like um, antenna alerts on them uh, because we, we, we've got to now because a lot of things are hidden. And I think since COVID, many more children are finding, and parents actually, especially mums, they're finding the confidence to come up and say, look, I need help. I need, in, in the past, it was taboo. You know, you just keep things quiet and nobody, you know, be embarrassing to the community if anyone found out that, you know, you had social services involved in your house. Oh my God, that's, you know, it's, it's that family over there. There was a horrible kind of stigma. Now I think parents are really wanting support. I mean, I think last week, what was really sad was I, I was on the um, on the gate in the morning and a, my mum came up to me. She just, you know, um, obviously a migrant herself from Sri Lanka. She said, um, where can I get vouchers? Where can I get food vouchers from? Um, you know, I need to feed myself. I need to feed my children. Uh, and that, you know, and I was like, well, actually, we don't have any. We don't have any food vouchers. Have you gone to the food banks? I can't because when I'm I'm trying to work and they're they, they're closed when they're when um, I, I manage to get there. Um, and I just said, look, uniform. Let's have a look at your child's uniform. What do you need? Um, he needs shoes. And so we just got the mom, took her into the. Um, you know, we've got. A huge lost property <laughs> it's just, you know <laughs> it's amazing how much you know they, they leave behind but I just I just filled up a bag and just let them just whatever you just fill all the clothes you can in here you know brand new coats brand new trainers brand new shoes um sent her up to our local uniform supply and just said you know almost like a blank check you know whatever she wants let her get what else can we do to kind of mm. make her feel that she's a good mother that she can she's providing for her child that her child will be happy and healthy um, yeah, it's really, it's very difficult, but at least now there is a confidence in coming to the schools and some, some parents know that the school is a safe place and the place where we can help. And, oh my God, if that's the case, then this is, it's, it's a great thing for schools, but mm. we need a little bit more help in, 
in doing this, we need the supply, we need the support, we need the supplies, we need the, the, the money, the training, the expertise to be able to deliver these kind of services. I mean, we, we're constantly hearing the figures for burnout in teachers and the number who say they're going to leave the profession. And I mean, God, I remember my, my mother feeling that SATs had destroyed her life yeah. and kind of doing her marking till midnight. And she always, unlike you, she always refused higher responsibility in the school. She didn't want that. But just having a, you know, teaching primary school children, she was so conscientious that that kind of took over her life. How, how, I mean, you know, we have the situation we have, we have the resources we have. How do you encourage colleagues to kind of keep going? Or is there such an inspirational ethos in your school that it's not so much of an issue Oh God, I don't, I don't know what the answer is to that, Christina. Because it's, um, I think if you have a, if you have a school culture and and, and leadership which is really supportive, and mm-hmm. you know, you feel that I can, I, I need help. You know, I can't achieve this. You know, is there a possibility that you can show me, or can I see good practice? I think you know, if you've got that kind of open conversation and culture, then that's where you get the help from. Um, I worry. I worry that there is teacher burnout. I worry that we have loads of teachers, good quality teachers leaving the profession. I get really frustrated that I come home every day and I work and my daughters see me working and I don't help them as much as I would like to on their homework because I'm doing work for other people or I'm marking or planning or um, you know doing other things. And it's really annoying. Um, and I don't know what the answer is, but something, mm. something's got to give. And what's really frustrating, even more so, is the fact that I know that this country is unique in this. The fact that in other countries, you know, p- teachers can come into school when they teach and then they can go home when they don't teach. Um, there are, there's, a, there's much more of a trust culture mm. that we respect teachers' judgments and professions. Therefore, why, you know, um, we've got such a, culture of testing and testing and testing and testing that sometimes you know we're just I don't know what kind of child we're creating and we're putting so much pressure on learning what's in the curriculum that that all the skills and the the real learning of life of you know of making the mistakes children don't want to that they don't experience that and that that's I think why we've got so much mental health problems I think in our in our community Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I worry. I, I don't know the answer to that, Christina. I've not managed to suss out work-life balance. Um, I just say to the, to to my new teachers, I say, just try and get whatever you can get done until six o'clock, and then after six o'clock, you don't take anything home. Weekends are yours. Half terms are yours. Just do what you can up until six o'clock when the school gets. I bet they don't. But I bet they don't follow that advice, Andrew, because you don't. You can't. I know. Really. I, I, know. I, I think. I think I'm just so institutionalized. I can't. I don't think I can. St- I mean, even when I feel guilty, I feel like sometimes when I come home and I, I'm, I'm so tired. I just want to, you know, just watch some rubbish tv um and i feel guilty i'm like should i just put the like you know i feel this guilt but uh i don't Have know you, do you do you ever do that because in your book you say that john your husband is constantly telling you to get off your laptop um and nowadays when people talk about mental health and burnout they always talk about boundaries i mean i've no idea what they are because i'm you know pretty much always at my laptop if i'm at home and i almost never watch rubbish tv but do you ever allow yourself these days 
the thing like right, I'm just going to change it a little bit now I'm going to twist it because uh, I had a really good conversation with another friend of mine and I said and he he runs a really successful company and I said when do you stop he goes me I don't it's because I love doing what I'm doing so I suppose I really enjoy doing what I'm doing therefore mm. it kind of if it's I don't see it as a job I just see it as a way of life and yes. I'm really enjoying this and you know I get ideas from oh well let me change that and I and by that time oh god look at the time oh my god is it that time already oh god he's gonna have another go <laughs> so I I do enjoy what I do I know it is very exhausting we have got lots of pressures coming at us um but yeah that's why I think that's why I think teaching is very much underestimated I think people don't realize that there is a specific skill which you need to have to be a teacher uh and it's it is hard work and this is why we're very much employable so teachers are leaving the profession and they're being snapped up because of the skills the organization the communication um the planning the 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 management which we are taught by doing which we do naturally in our profession Mm. You you say as a child it felt like a vocation and it kind of shines out of you this sense that it's a vocation and a vocation is a great thing to have many you know writers often feel that doctors feel that nurses mm. do feel that although that kind of came under pressure this idea that it was a vocation because of course what goes with a an, a vocation is the sense that you can exploit people because they'll do it anyway whatever the money and so on and we know the situation for teaching is pretty bad and you know there's no point in us sitting here saying teachers should be paid more of course they should and in lots of countries they are as you say and therefore they have higher status in society because as we know uh, so much of status in our society is associated with money but i wonder I mean, it's clear, the passion is clearly there, but what gives you most joy in your teaching and what kind of keeps you going? I, every, right, so for example, I've got this year 11 class that I'm teaching at the moment and they are putting me through the mill. (laughs) They are, they're exhausting. Um, They, they've got it. They are, they're, they're lovely. They are doing my head in. Um, they're not, when I'm setting homework, they, they're, oh, miss, I forgot it. And you're like, oh my God, you've got your exams. And, you know, so they are really pushing the boundaries. Um, but what I love about them and what I love about my job is that I just get to see them feel really proud about something they've created that is theirs. So, you know, from a line, from a simple, a single line to a portrait, or to, you know, one blob of paint, a beautiful painted um, piece of work. You know, I've helped them there. I've supported them get there to get there. And then they've got this sense of pride at the end of it. And, and I get to see their personality through their work as well. Mm-hmm. So that is like an open door invitation of, of meeting a new person, another human being. I think that's what's really special about my job. And um, and I said to you before, I, I do, you know, my my life is very unique. I have a two day teaching job and then I have the rest of the the, 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 the other five days <laughs> I'm, I'm doing. I'm running the my, my, my organization, the charity and I'm doing keynotes. I'm doing. Um, consultancy art stuff so I'm very busy and and, and booked up but it's my two days teaching days that Mm. they're precious that's what fuels me because it's working with young people and just seeing what they're going to create and seeing if what I've planned to teach them they've enjoyed and they've been challenged by so it's quite 
Yeah. And I saw that you've trained as a coach and you do coaching now. I, I trained as a coach last year, actually. What made you decide to do that? It's helping people, isn't it? Mm. And it's, I think it's the best training I've ever done. I, I, I can't, I, I loved it. And I think the reason why I enjoyed it was I went on a course years ago called a positive psychology course. Cause I just wanted to, at that point, again, in my school, it was just, you know, we were, we were graded as RI requires improvement. And so it's a case of, you know, how can we motivate staff? And I am a very positive person most of the time. And through then, I just got very inspired um, about, you know, because they, they, they allocate you with a coach. And I just loved what she was doing with me. And I just thought, oh, my God, you know, how do I do what you're doing? <laughs> and then I found a coaching course, and it was the best, best um, professional development I ever had. Because it's all all about helping unblock another person, helping another mm. person just, just find the way forward, find the way out. Um, and all you're doing is asking questions and it's yeah. a, a very humbling experience because you know it's about trust as well them letting you into their life them um, exposing things and you know and you, you just being there just to kind of in a safe place just to kind of get them through and what's well, real you know all right I'm gonna big myself up a little bit now you know but um uh, I've uh, I, I'm a senior leader in my in my, in my school so there's um, I'm part of the team there's about 10 of us and from those 10 colleagues who I've got around the table, I'd say about now seven of them I've coached since their beginning of time. And they're now senior leaders in the school or, wow. you know, and I think that's really special. The fact that they've got this power, they feel empowered to take things yes. and to grow. And yeah, it's, gorgeous. I mean, it's called you're a certified transformational coach. Where, where, where who did the training? What, what was the training? Um, the training was with an organization called Coach Masters Academy. Um, and it's transformational because you really, you know, there's, there's lots of coaching that, that takes place, especially and the ones that we have in school are very different types of coaching. It's very much about subject, you know, your, your practice in pedagogy, but transformation is that you are really unpicking and digging deep and peeling those layers away and getting to the absolute root of the problem mm. and it's transformational because once they make the connection of oh my god this is all about a traumatic experience or this is all about that then you just see that light spark um and their ability to recognize where the sense of sadness frustration whatever it was has come from and then where and, and then you help them see the opportunities to grow out of it or to get out of it whatever it is they're experiencing and i think that's why it's transformational and um yeah it really is it's deep it's dark it's it's uh it's uh, it, you know it's emotional i'd say but you know they they the impact is incredible what they achieve afterwards is, is fantastic and you have an incredibly as you said an incredibly hectic life keynote speaking the coaching the leading the teaching and you have a family and I'm sure you have an enormous network of friends and you have a Greek family, which I'm sure is not an entirely part time job. <laughs> how what are your well, you don't need to give me kind of privileged information about how you're planning to recalibrate your career. But is it doable to do all those things? Not really. <laughs> no, I, I, 
look, look, I'm doing it. It's working. I'm, my husband has not divorced me. My, <laughs> my children's haven't called tell, like a children's helpline or whatever. Um, I mean, I have everyone very close. So my family very close. My parents very close. So the, the support network is there. Um, I've got such a great network of girlfriends as well who are just there to pick up and do what I need. Uh, and I think that's what it is. But I, I hear you and I and it's I've got a I'm too frightened to actually go for a coaching session myself because I'm worried about what's going to pop up. But I know that there is <laughs> I, I I know that there is a, something inside of me that is just saying to me, you know, at what point is something going to give? What are you going to give up? And at the moment, I'm not. I'm mm. t- I just don't want to at the moment. And you know, it's 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 just waiting until that inevitable time where I do but at the moment it's we're good to go we're good to go we're going to carry on <laughs> well as as we both know from coaching it's a question of how much you want something isn't it really mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I, and I I know that what I'm doing is having an impact in terms of my school my teaching I know that what I'm doing in terms of my leadership is having an impact I'm inspiring other leaders I'm making things happen you know that's amazing I'm, I'm i'm fulfilled from there i also know that running the organization the charity is just so beautiful i love it i love um what we're doing in schools i love us helping schools out i love you know it's you know seeing seeing the results is beautiful um i i really love all the keynote and inspirational and, and supporting other teachers and practitioners i you know, this is what energizes me the fact that their happiness means and that you know them being inspired fuels me to carry on going um, I suppose when I stop, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what it looks like for me to stop. I just keep going. <laughs> I, I'll just keep on going. <laughs> you know, 70-year-old, keeping on going, you know, managing everything. And, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, it's the best, the best route to a long life. Oh, yes, about the book. So, so you you mention you mention you give you credit a ghostwriter in the um in the acknowledgements did you think about writing it entirely yourself so why on earth would anybody want to read my book that's the thing so when I won the award I my twitter account and emails exploded with oh have you ever thought about writing the book so every publisher every agent was there and I was like why on earth what what is fascinating about my life you know why would they want that and then I realized that actually not many people know what teachers do they don't know, they may know what, you know, the pretty thing, the teaching, whatever, but they don't know the dark stuff, which is what I talk about a lot in my book, the, the challenges that we face and the real life stories of the children. Um, and when I was talking to um, publishers about that, they just faced, we want to write your book. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but obviously I didn't have the time. Uh, and so they asked me, you know, we, you know, we'd have a ghostwriter write with you. And I thought, oh my God, is that, is that real though? Is it, is it, would it actually be... <laughs> real to do that and then she captured my voice beautifully and everybody Mm. who knew me knew that yes Andrea you that's you that's Mm. um and it's an art form being a ghostwriter is an art form uh so and it was for me it was almost therapy as well because we were going down memory lane she was you know the questions that were being asked um you know some of the thoughts so where has that come from and you know and yeah I I'm I'm just so grateful that of, with, with, the, with the, the, the lady that I worked with to, to write the book because she really made something special that I'm so proud of. And 
is is me it really is me it's incredibly moving and so inspiring mm. and I feel like you know it should be thrust into the hands of every politician apart from anything else because you get the sense that they have no idea about the country they're claiming to govern that's and, right and, yeah. and, and, and the, the city and what I'm loving about what the other thing I love about my book is that the amount of teachers and head teachers have come up to me and said you know that chapter three when you're talking about that story well that's I've just you know that he's my kid too so everyone can relate and can identify that there's some of those stories as well. And I love, because this is our book, really. This is, this is the book of a UK teacher or an inner city London teacher. This mm. is our book. This is what we do. Um, yeah. And that's why it's so special. But I've got a bit, I've, I've got a bit of a bug though. Um, so I've just completed my second book. <laughs> oh, really? Great. What, what is it? This one's called, um, it's, it's coming out in May. Um, it's called Lessons I've Learned. And what's, what, I, what, we, what we did for this one was um, interview 30 of the world's best teachers mm. and ask them very simple questions um, all about who was the child, the child who changed your life tell me that story and then what advice would you give to parents you know what what is it about children that that we need to know as parents and that's just been incredible absolutely I actually feel that I'm a better person after sitting all those interviews and listening to those teachers tell the stories um you know it's just been really emotional and trying to capture that uh, and share it with the world again so it's so it's about you know raising the profile of teachers again yeah fantastic fantastic and final question when a youngster says to you miss I don't know what to do I don't know how to earn a living I don't know what job to do what advice do you give them if they are if they are good in the arts if, if they're somebody that who I who I you know <laughs> in my top drawer I've got a laminate a laminated sheet of paper I think I've had it for centuries now of all the jobs that are in the art world, everything from curator, from backstage set designer, uh, everything. I said this is this was this is what's available and more because of all the jobs that have not yet um, been discovered. And it still is really, uh, it, you know, even now it's really difficult to persuade the parents to say you, you know your child get them to GCSE or get them to GCSE music drama. What 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 could they do? It's it's not about the subject, it's about the skills they learn, how they strengthen in character, how they become more reflective, they're able to communicate better, because everything about these subjects is about them, their own identity, and they are very vulnerable because they're exposing themselves and putting themselves there for everyone else. And I think that's, that is a confidence that you, you can't put a price on, and that's why mm. young people should do this. Mm. Great. Thank you so much, Andrea. It's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you. Oh, my pleasure. It's been lovely. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to The Art of Work on Apple, Spotify or any of the main podcast directories. And I'd be really grateful if you'd share, rate it and or leave a review. Do sign up to my free Substack newsletter, also called The Art of Work. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, my books or explore the possibility of coaching with me, do have a look at my website, theartofwork.co. And do join me for another podcast next week.